Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to the Gospel according to Matthew. And I'd like to talk to you today about fate and faith, the sovereignty of God and the choices of man or of men. In Matthew, I want to look at chapter 21 and read here a very promising verse. Jesus has cursed the fig tree, and the disciples are curious, I guess we could say, as to how quickly it was withered away. So we look at verse 17 in Matthew chapter 21, and the Bible says, And he left them and went out of the city into Bethany, and he lodged there. Now in the morning as he returned into the city, he hungered. And when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon, but leaves only. And said unto it, Let no fruit grow on thee henceforth forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How soon is the fig tree withered away? Now verse 21, Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, If ye have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if ye shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. Then in verse 22 it says, And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. A couple of weeks ago here, or once or twice in the recent past at least, I've gone through verse similar to this in Matthew chapter 17, where Jesus says effectively the same thing. Speak unto the mountain, say, Remove from hence to yonder place, and it shall be removed, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. So we see here, this is a type of theme in the life of Christ, as well as the mind of God. There are tremendous possibilities for your life, my life, if we will follow the instructions of the Master, Jesus. However, there's something that I want to bring into the subject here that is in the title of the message, Fate and Faith. Right, this is obviously speaking about faith. Fate and faith, and accenting the sovereignty of God as well as the choices of man. Now, just for your information, just in case you're not aware of this, there are some schools of thought that hold when it comes to the sovereignty of God. They make that pretty much exclusive. Those that are going to heaven, this was predetermined. I'll talk about that in just a few minutes. And then there's others who teach another extreme, which is man makes all the choices and then God just simply decides after man has decided what he's going to do or what he's going to believe. But the Bible actually puts two of these things together and forms, at least for me, a type of mystery, precisely how this works. And any diligent student of the Bible will see these two things are both true. God is sovereign, and God has determined certain things, and we'll go through this in a few minutes. But then he gives man, he gives you, gives me, the ability to make choices. And let me read this verse one more time. Matthew 21, 21, Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, if ye have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if ye shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. Now perhaps I could start here at verse 22. 
Just say, here's perhaps where some of the confusion comes in for those who accent all things. It says all things. And then it says whatsoever. And then they accent whatsoever. Ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. But again, if you are a student of the Bible, I hope that you are, we always have to compare Scripture with Scripture in order to come up with the correct answer. I am saying once again that between the sovereignty of God, God making choices that are determined, and they will happen, and the choices of man, for me, is still a bit of a mystery as to precisely how all of this works together. But I'm comfortable being able to say to you in humility that I don't know precisely how all this works. I only know what the scriptures say. So let me go back to this here. And all things whatsoever. Does all things actually mean all things? And does whatsoever mean whatsoever? And I'm going to say that it doesn't. All things and the word whatsoever has to be taken in the context of other things that we know that are unchangeable. For instance, the nature of God. If whatsoever and all things meant that we could actually pray in such a fashion to change the nature of God, or perhaps we could say this too. If we were to pray in such a way to say, I want to be equal with God, I want to be exactly like God. Well, I think a rational mind could already figure out that that's not possible. So that's an extreme example of whatsoever and all things not meaning that it's anything. It's always got to be taken in the context of Scripture. So we have two themes here. We have one where God has certain things determined that they're going to happen. Man has no say in it, none whatsoever. There's no choice for man to make other than the choices that we can make with our own lives that are, let me say this way, all things and whatsoever opens us up to so many possibilities in our personal life. There'll be plenty there to keep us occupied as we pray and as we believe and as we receive. I mean, that's really the end of it all, is that we actually receive answers to our prayer. If we ask in prayer, believing and receiving, what God has opened up to us is quite a lot. It's quite a lot. So let me start today with the fact that God rules in the affairs of men. And I think that although this is always an important subject to keep in mind, because that's the anchor, that's the rock, that's the thing that's going to hold us steady in uncertain times, whether those times are personal times or just what we see going on today all over the world and in our country. The fact that God is ruling, that he's never left his throne. For example, some who believe that there is a creator have what has been called the watchmaker theory. That is that God wound up creation, like my watch here, he wound it up, it's going, and then he walked away from it. So that he's not really much interested any longer in his creation, and some hold to that. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that God not only created us and created the world, but that he's intimately involved. Let me give you the example from Psalm 103, verse 19. It says this, The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. And in this case, all means all. The Lord hath prepared his kingdom in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. This here, and it's just the one verse that I want to accent, this here establishes the fact that God not only created the world and the people, you, myself, people of the past, people of the future, 
that God not only created this, but he is also intimately involved in the affairs of men. God rules or governs in the affairs of men. And once again, this is what's going to be our anchor in these troubling times. So with that in mind, I want to take you back a few years in our country's history. And I want you to pay attention. I'm going to make commentary throughout this little portion of a speech given by Benjamin Franklin so that we get an idea of the fact that God is ruling right now in the affairs of men. And for those of us who are Americans, many of you who are watching are from overseas or in different countries. But we need to understand, whatever country we're in, we need to understand that God is governing and ruling in the affairs of men. Now, it's the Constitutional Convention in 1787. Obviously, the War of Independence is over. We have been victorious. We've won our independence from Great Britain. And now the Founding Fathers are meeting in Philadelphia, and they're trying to hammer out what kind of government are we going to have in the states that are now united. But as the Founding Fathers are meeting, they are there for four or five weeks, basically just arguing. And they're not making much progress at all on what we now have and what we now know as our United States Constitution. What form of government should we have and how should we handle it and what should the words say and all this. Four or five weeks, they're not really making much progress. And it's interesting in life to me how God uses, in many cases, he uses the most unlikely people to put forth his truth. Let me just say this as a parenthetical statement. We often expect the ones who are Bible experts or are supposed to be Bible experts, they're the ones that are always going to put forth the truth. But we come here into the New Testament and we see Jesus reproving people. His most severe castigations were always for those who were handling the Bible. Scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. And he goes on to talk about their traditions. And the traditions, he says, that you hold have now made the word of God of none effect. And then occasionally, you know, I said, throughout history, God will use someone we don't expect. The statement that I'm about to read to you from the lips of Benjamin Franklin, we would have thought would have been uttered by somebody else in that same room who had the convictions that we have about the Bible. So the founding fathers are arguing. They're not making much progress. And it's Benjamin Franklin who stands up to address these men. And he says this. In this situation of this assembly, groping as it were in the dark to find political truth and scarce able to distinguish it when presented to us, how has it happened, sirs? We have not hitherto once thought of humbly applying to the Father of lights to illuminate our understandings. Now Franklin stands up after four or five weeks to his friends and fellow Americans. And he says, listen, we've been arguing, this is a paraphrase, we've been arguing for five weeks. How come nobody has thought to pray to God? How come nobody even mentioned it? Remember that Franklin was a deist. No one thought of humbly applying to the Father of lights to illuminate our understandings. Then he goes on through a little bit of recent history, the revolution. In the beginning of the contest with Great Britain, Listen, when we were sensible of danger, we had daily prayer in this room for divine protection. Let me just say something here. His words are plain enough. But human nature is such that unless we know we're in immediate danger, how is it that it's only then that we start to seek after God and say, God, I'm in trouble. 
he is stating here that they had prayed during those days when they knew, look at these men who were leading the revolution would not have been treated well at all by the leadership, King George and others, in Great Britain had they been captured. A few of the founders did lose their lives in the revolution. They weren't here for this constitutional convention. But many, many Americans lost their lives. Of course, many British did too. But when our country was in trouble and we saw the trouble and there was actual guns on our soil come to take prisoner, captive, or kill Americans, Benjamin Franklin said, hey, you know, back then we were praying every day in this room for God to protect us. How come now? As I go on to say, how come now we've forgotten them? Our prayers, sir, he goes on to say, were heard and they were graciously answered. This is Benjamin Franklin once again. He's not a preacher. He was good friends with George Whitfield. They knew each other very well. And Whitfield was always trying to win him to the Lord as far as what the scriptures say. But Franklin never, never conceded it. But they were good friends. Yet this is Franklin who's coming forth with what we would expect in an assembly of such noble men. Someone else to have proposed it. And they didn't. Anyway, he says here, our prayers, sir, were heard and they were graciously answered. All of us who were engaged in the struggle, listen to this, must have observed, listen, frequent instances of a superintending providence in our favor. He's not even asking or making the statement that everyone here saw it. He says, you must have seen it. That whenever we prayed, we continue to see God's hand intervening in our cause in the war. And basically he was saying, everyone here knows it. To that kind providence, we owe this happy opportunity of consulting in peace on the means of establishing our future national felicity. Felicity means happiness. He said, because God heard our prayers and we were spared from imprisonment, death, torture, and all these things, and we have now won our independence, we owe it to him that we're in this room now able to draft a document that will become our future government. We owe it to him that we are able to do what we're doing now. And I'd like to say this as a comment as well. We here in America owe it to God for what we are enjoying. And the troubles that we see is really no different than what Franklin was proposing here. Begin to make prayer to God, to have mercy on us and intervene. And have we now forgotten that powerful friend? Again, you're just tuning in. This is Benjamin Franklin. Constitutional Convention, speaking to these founders. Five weeks, they're going nowhere. He's reminding them that we prayed every single day when we were actually shooting guns. And guns were being shot at us. We prayed every day. And all of you here have seen frequent occasions of God intervening in the affairs of men. That's my first point today. God is ruling in the affairs of men. Now, he says, we're trying to hammer out a document here that will become our government. And we've forgotten God. We have made one day of prayer. We haven't made one prayer to him. Have we now forgotten that powerful friend, or do we imagine that we no longer need his assistance? That is a good question for America today. Actually, any country. But since we're here in America, that's a good question. Do we really believe we don't need the assistance of God anymore because we've got technology and some of our institutions have gotten to the place where they really truly believe we got a problem? We'll figure it out. We can solve it. Basically, Franklin was saying, have we forgot that powerful friend that we have in God? We made prayer to him every day when we were being shot at and some of us were being killed. And now, do we think that we don't need his assistance? I wonder if here in America, 
There is not millions of people who think we don't need God. And I'm not talking about atheists who don't believe in his existence. But we just don't need the assistance of God. We will solve it. We'll solve it through our politics. And we'll solve it through our political committees and our political parties. And as the saying goes, how's that working out for us? We need the assistance of God who's ruling and always has been. Psalm 103, verse 19, the Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens and his kingdom ruleth over all. Again, Franklin says, we prayed, God answered. Now, have we forgotten him? Do we think we don't need his assistance? Then he says this, I have lived, sir, a long time. And the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth that God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, those are the words of Jesus, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? We have been assured, sir, in the sacred writings, and he's referring to the Bible, that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. I firmly believe this, he said. And I also believe that without his concurring aid, we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. We shall be divided by our little partial local interests, of which I may say again as commentary, that's exactly what we're seeing right now in America. Our projects will be confounded. We're also seeing that in America. And we ourselves shall become a reproach and a byword down to future ages. He's saying here that, you know, we've been victorious in the war. But if we carry on like this with either no form of government, which that would be impossible, or if we don't begin to have the aid of God and his wisdom into what kind of government we should set up, time will go by and people will look at what we did here. We had this war, but we couldn't finish it in the sense that we couldn't establish freedom in this country of ours. That's what he was intending to say. Went on to say this, and what is worse Mankind may hereafter, from this unfortunate instance, despair of establishing governments by human wisdom and leave it to chance, war, and conquest. Now he went on to say this, I therefore beg leave to move that henceforth prayers imploring the assistance of heaven and its blessings on our deliberations be held in this assembly every morning before we proceed to business and that one or more of the clergy... There's the separation of church and state for you. And that one or more of the clergy of this city be requested to officiate in that service. That was the beginning of the Senate chaplaincy from that day forward. They began to pray. They began once again to ask God for his aid. That They asked every day when they were getting shot at. Now that they weren't getting shot at, somehow, and this is human nature, by the way, they just seemed to say, well, okay, we can handle it from here. We'll take it from here. They forgot. They forgot God. And look at before we get too condescending and too critical, human nature, all of our nature has a tendency to forget how much we are dependent on the God who is ruling in the affairs of men. In the book of Ezekiel, he says, all souls are mine. All souls are mine. I created the heavens. I created the earth. I created this planet. I created those that inhabit it. I created all the animals. It's God who governs in the affairs of men. And so I bring this to you, the words of Benjamin Franklin who had the sagacity to learn and to understand that, hey, you know what, we used to pray, but now we don't pray, and things aren't going so well in this room right now concerning this Constitution and concerning our trying to put together the Constitution that we now have. And so they began to pray. I want to just give you this little thought. 
When you study American history relative to Christianity, and I've given you plenty of times quoting from Alexis de Tocqueville, he said that the first thing that strikes a foreigner on their arrival to America is the observance that the people of America paid to the Sabbath. Well, that's gone now too. Now, that's not what strikes a foreigner on their arrival to America as the first thing and the most imposing thought. The way Americans shut down on a Saturday night and don't open up anything again to Sunday night, that's gone. Franklin here once again called on the founders to pray, and now we have a United States Constitution. Here's what I wanted to say. And there are some that say, well, you know, God is not in the Constitution. And that's true. I mean, to a degree, that's true. But it was Franklin who said, let's pray that he gives us the wisdom to put the Constitution together. So who do we give the credit to? Founders? Or to one founder, Benjamin Franklin, who said, let's pray to God to give us the wisdom to know what to put in that Constitution. Not to mention the member of the clergy every day showing up, leading everyone in prayer to put that Constitution together. If this was a court of law, we could submit that as evidence that God is involved in the United States Constitution. Just a thought. And so... Franklin proposes something here that actually will bring us to the main point today. Is it really determinism? Hey, what's going to happen is going to happen. We happen to win the war. Now what do we do? Or is it fatalism? Again, we don't know. Or is there an element in the gospel, in the Bible, of God's determining things, a man's will to be involved in making choices for his or her life, or for the life of you know, other leaders, so me as a church, could be the mayor of the city, whatever. I want to propose to you that there is a tension that rises between two truths. God is governing. He's never given up his throne, never will. He's not walked away from the world. And I'll share with you a couple of verses. Some things are determined. They're going to happen. A man can either comply and acknowledge it or not comply and, I say, suffer the consequences. God has determined certain things. I could mention many, but I just want to go through a couple. In the book of Daniel, chapter 9, just want to read one verse to you there. And for a little background, I give you an explanation on the fact. Number one, that Daniel is a very imposing book in the Bible because the prophecies in here are so detailed that some have argued that this book was written way after the fact. That's not the case. And here, Daniel, who is a captive in what would today be modern Iraq, which then was Babylon, that conquered Judah, two southern tribes of Judah. He learns that there's going to be 70 years of captivity. He reads the writings of Jeremiah. He, of course, is a man of God himself and being visited by God, God's spirit, angels as well. And he writes down what God has shown him. In verse 24 of Daniel chapter 9, we learn from this prophecy, 70 weeks are determined. That's the word I want you to hear. 70 weeks are determined. Who determined that? The one who rules in the affairs of men. God did. He determined. That's how long it's going to be. Can't change it. 70 weeks are determined. This is Daniel 9, 24. 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and prophecy, which means it will be finished, to be all done, fulfilled, and to anoint the most holy. Now, there's more details to this prophecy, but I'll just explain it to you. Number one, 70 weeks are not weeks of days, but weeks of years. So it's 490 years. 
We go down a little bit further, and the Messiah is mentioned that he would come. And in the 69th week, which would be 483 years, he would be cut off, not for himself, but for the sins of the people, which we read in Isaiah chapter 53. From that time forward, we see these 70 weeks. 69 of them have already been completed. The clock on these prophecies here in particular just stopped. There's only one seven-year period left, which we find in the book of the Revelation. It's one week, so to speak, of seven years. We see here the accuracy of a prophecy because God reveals to us it is determined. I want to say it was determined. No, it is determined because it has not been completed. We have, for instance, in verse 24, we haven't made an end of sin, of sinning. Reconciliation for iniquity has been done on the cross of Christ. But what has not been brought in is everlasting righteousness, other than what is imparted to believers, to seal up the vision and prophecy. Well, that obviously hasn't happened because we're still here and the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of God is not here on earth. It's not physical. We don't see it yet. And to anoint the most holy. These things haven't happened. So without going through all of this, I just simply want to say God has determined certain things for which we can either object to and then reject, or we can acknowledge and we can submit to it. Here, God revealed to Daniel how long it would be until the end of this age, the end of this world, and then the beginning of eternity in the kingdom of God. Now, in Acts chapter 4, we see something similar. And I'm accenting the fact that some things in the mind of God are determined. And we are not able to turn that around. For those of us who believe in Jesus Christ, we don't want to turn it around. Some do. In Acts chapter 4, the apostles are praying. And they're having some persecution and troubles. And they're asking specifically for God to stretch forth his hand in power. They're asking for healing, signs, and wonders to be done by the name of Jesus Christ. You can read that in verse 30 of Acts chapter 4. But then, before that, quoting from the second psalm, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. That's a fulfillment of prophecy. Verse 27 and 28. For of a truth... Against thy holy child, Jesus, whom thou hast anointed. All right, again, these are the apostles are praying to God, God the Father. Both Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together, all right, to put him to the cross. That's the reference here. Listen, verse 28, Acts chapter 4. For to do whatsoever thy hand, God, and thy counsel, God, determined before to be done. And once again, we see this mystery, the determined will of God and the choices of men. In Franklin's speech, it's put together, we pray to God and we can get his wisdom. He didn't say that we'd have success, but that was the intent. And if we don't have his favor, we're going to be a byword and we're going to be a proverb and future people will not want to do anything in forming a government, which may have been an overstatement. They'll not want to get involved in establishing government with human wisdom. They're appealing to God, Constitutional Convention. Franklin is saying, let's appeal to God and have him intervene. Then we can think this through. You see the cooperation here? God and man. And man in the Constitutional Convention say, okay, let's look at it this way. And they start to hammer out the details of we the people of the United States of America in order to form a more perfect union and so on. 
It was not one or the other. It wasn't merely men, and it wasn't simply God. It was God working with men by their choices. We are here in America with a federal constitution, and I want to say all, but most of the state constitutions, if you take a time to read the originals, have this type of flavor in it, that God is involved in our affairs, which is what the scriptures say. So to make this applicable to you as an individual, would you say today that you are just simply a victim of fate, or are you going to be a victor by faith? The opening verse I read was from Matthew chapter 21. He says, if you have faith, you'll not only do to this fig tree what I've just done to it. If you ask, believing, you will receive all things whatsoever. All things are held in the tension of certain things being determined by God that he's going to do. And also by biblical principle that says, well, this cannot happen and this should not happen and don't do this and then do this. But then when you look at that as kind of boundaries... We have a lot of room to make up our own minds whether we are going to be victims of fate or victors of faith. When we go over to 1 John, we won't go there today, but when we go over to 1 John, it says, And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. I will submit to you that this is a choice that we all have to make as individuals. You have to choose for yourself. I can't choose for you. I made my own choice. I know where I'm going. I know what I believe. I'm not going to be a victim of fate. I'm going to be a victor of faith. I read somewhere, someone wrote, I don't know who did, I don't know if it's anonymous, said this, I have never met a strong man, meaning a strong person. I've never met a strong man who didn't have a tough life. Now, I think that's very insightful. You're not made tough by having life easy, and life isn't easy for anybody. It never has been. Not since the garden. Not since God said to man, Adam and Eve, you're not coming back in here. It's been difficult from the beginning. And yet people say, I'm a victim of fate. How do they say it? Well, they don't say it that way. We got to change this. And it was the way I was raised. I mean, no doubt these things factor in. Government, your environment, where you live, where you were brought up, where your parents and all that. Let me tell you something. I've met some exceptional people who came from homes that were well, I use the word dysfunctional, but it was a whole lot more than just dysfunction. Some were abused verbally, physically, some sexually. And they really took the opportunity to become a victor by faith rather than, as some do, and we've heard enough of that, they're always a victim, always a victim of fate. Things just happen to me all the time. Well, I've read to you from the book here, some things are determined by God. Thankfully, if we cooperate with God, which why wouldn't we, then the outcome will be very good. If we, however, just decide to sit around and say, well, you know, just a victim, things are determined, then we get into fatalism. The Bible is not fatalistic. It gives man a choice. All through, we're going to read a verse from the book of Joshua, if you want to turn there. We're going to read a verse where we see an example of what we read throughout the Bible. This is going to happen. But you have a choice as to how it affects your life. In Joshua chapter 24, Israel has spent 40 years walking, really wandering, in the wilderness. And now Moses has died and he has passed on the leadership. Actually, God passed on the leadership to Joshua. Now, Joshua is the leader. He's in charge. They finally come out of the wilderness, all the children that grew up 
during that 40-year period, all the elders had died, all the older people had died off in the desert, wandering around because they didn't obey God in the first place. And let me just say this. At the end of your life, the end of my life, there will be nobody to blame but ourselves. Because God has not written to us here fatalism. Some bad things are going to happen. They're determined. But God says, here's a choice. This is, again, the theme that we find throughout the Bible. God gives you a choice. I'm a victim. It's going to happen. What can I do about it? And God says, you can do plenty. Obey my voice. Do what I say. That's the choice. Once again, we have to make as individuals. You can't make that choice for your husband or your wife. You can't make that choice for your children. Naturally, we want to teach our children and bring them up in the way of the Lord. And you know, we love our spouses and all of this. And then you keep you know, spreading it out. For me as a pastor, I want everyone I teach and reach, whether it's here, it's on live streaming, it's on radio, to have the success you know, of what Christ promises us. But I don't control that. I only control me. I only control whether I'm going to get up in the morning and say, there you go, you're just a victim of all these bad things that have happened to you. And once again, people who are strong did not have an easy life. One way or the other, they did not have an easy life. The reason we see them as strong people and the reason we see this one over here, this poor unfortunate soul who is just sitting there on the ash heap of continued failure is because it was never determined in their own mind to make a decision to do what God has said to do and not do what God has said not to do. That lays with man, not with God. Israel comes, wanders around. They disobey God from the very onset of their deliverance from Egypt. So they wander around for these 40 years. Now they have crossed over the Jordan into the so-called promised land that was given as a promise to Abraham, and then reiterated to Isaac, and then reiterated to Jacob. And right down to this time here, the 12 tribes now are millions of people, and they have opportunity. So listen to what Joshua says, chapter 24, verse 15. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, listen, choose you this day whom ye will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. Now here again is a choice. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'm just going to read verse 16 to you. The people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. And they go through this here. Basically, they say, okay, we're going to serve the Lord too. Well, they did for a while, but then that fell apart. And that's why Jeremiah was written, Isaiah as well, and the prophetical book saying, you've disobeyed God, so now this is determined. You're going to go into captivity in the case of Judah and Benjamin, the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. For 70 years, you'll be captive in a foreign land, and then I'll send you back. And then we go through many prophecies in the scriptures that have been fulfilled and that are now being fulfilled and are yet to be fulfilled. And they will be fulfilled because it's determined by God. The same God that intervened in the American Revolution to give us the land that we have now, or give us the country that we have now. God is ruling in the affairs of men. Meanwhile, men and women, you and I, we have choices. Throw up our hands and say, well, if it's determined, what can I do? See, that's fatalism. That's not determinism. Determinism means, okay, we realize certain things are going to happen. Bad things, good things. Well, let's say bad things and ultimately the best thing, God's kingdom. But until that time comes, we make decisions, as we read in Matthew chapter 21, do we really believe? I mean, we believe that Jesus cursed the fig tree, yeah, 
But do we believe that we can curse the fig tree? Jesus said we could. And other things too. It's a choice. Let me read to you Joshua 24, 15 one more time. If in your mind, I'm going to paraphrase it. If in your mind you think it's evil or wrong to serve Jehovah, that's what Lord means. That's the underlying word. It's essentially his name. Everything else comes out from there. If you think it's evil in your mind to serve the Lord, then choose who you will serve. Choose. Because as for me, now he's speaking of his house when his children are young. Once they get old, they must choose. And I wanted to say this also. Don't you be fooled to think if you could be the perfect parent, which obviously you're not. But if you are an average parent, you do, let's say, a good enough job, you've done your best, and your children walk away, that's their choice. I was sharing with my wife, my wife was sharing with me, and then we were talking a little bit about, somebody wrote a book about marriage, you know. The premise of the book is that if one of the spouses, one of these two people, will just do everything that's right, then in 40 days, the other person will change. I said, that's not true. As if that was the case, everybody would have been saved already from the life of Jesus, or the apostles, or the prophets as well. I'll submit to you the example of Samuel. Samuel was so powerful a prophet. I mean, they're all really the same because they're God's prophets, but the phrase is used that not one of his words ever fell to the ground. Whatever he said came to pass. Yet he had two sons that were so profligate, so sinful, they couldn't be rulers. Somehow, and it's the idea of humanism, Somehow we think if we do everything that's right, then everybody around us does what's right. And that's not the case. If that were the case, Israel never would have gotten in trouble in the first place because they had a really great leader in Moses. So I'm trying to show you today that though some things are determined, that keeps us in balance between all things and whatsoever in Matthew 21, 22. And the fact that we now have a lot of space here, a lot of land to let our lives be in Christ what we determine them to be with God's approval. Because he says here, through Joshua, if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Want to serve the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood? Gods of the Amorites in whose land we dwell now? I'm putting this in here now. Then serve them. That's your choice. But as for me, and I'm saying, when he was the priest of the home, as we all are, When they were little, he says, now in my house, we will serve the Lord. I could go a little further and say, as these children got older and they became men and women, they went out. They had to make their own choice for their own selves and for their own homes. You today have the opportunity to make a choice for your life. And I want to speak to some of you, especially those of you who watch the Oasis, my daily broadcast on YouTube. We talk about anxiety and depression. One of the things that is very easy for you and others to fall into when you have a troubled mind and you've had a troubled life, is to fall into the mentality that there's nothing I can do. That's just the way it is. See, that's fatalism. That's not determinism. See, we look at Jesus when we begin with the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We see Jesus as a healer. A woman sees Jesus. She's had an issue of blood for 12 years. In the book of Acts, there was a man who was impotent for 40 years. So now we see this, an ongoing case, 12 years, 40 years. Some of these people were born as paralytics. They couldn't move and so forth. Time is irrelevant to God. So we have this woman. Jesus is walking in a crowd. He's not really even paying attention to her because it's a big crowd. And she says to herself, if I can but touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. Why? Because Jesus is a healer of the mind, of the spirit. He cast out devils. He's a healer of the body. If I can touch him, here's the thing. When she touches Jesus, Jesus stops and he says, who touched me? 
And the disciples, rightfully so, I suppose, the disciples said, Lord, everybody's touching you. He's bumping up against them. Maybe they're reaching out their hands. Nothing's happening for them. Here comes a woman, and she just happens to get her hand between a couple of people and touches the hem of Jesus' garment, and the blood stops immediately. And Jesus said, who touched me? For I perceived that virtue went out of me. Now the woman was a bit taken back, so she said, very, very shyly and somewhat in some trepidation, she said, I did, I touched you. O woman, great is your faith. He said, go in peace. Your faith has made you whole. Yeah, we know the power is in God. That's a given. I hope it's a given. But she made that decision. If I could but touch the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. And she was. And then history is filled with millions of stories. Not the majority, but millions of stories of people who did the same thing. Who said, if I can touch Jesus, I will receive. I will, you know, this is what we read in Matthew 21. If I can believe, I will receive. Thank you, Lord, I'm receiving. This type of thing. I'll leave you with this today as hopefully the catalyst for your life in these times in which we live right now. Matthew 11, verses 28, 29, and verse 30. There's an invitation here. Matthew 11, 28, 29, and verse 30. There's an invitation. Jesus gives it to all of us. Verse 28 says, Come unto me. Come. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Look at verse 29. It's a principle. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Is it fate or is it faith? Is it the sovereignty of God that whatever happens, happens, which is, again, fatalism? Or is it simply that men are going to do all these incredible things? Elon Musk is going to put a bunch of people on Mars. I just want to ask him who's going. If he makes it to Mars, maybe he will. But who's going to go there? Is it just man saying, we're going to go to Mars and we're going to repopulate up there because down here is going to be destroyed? Well, at least he recognizes that much. But it's not one or the other. It's the combination of the two. Certain things are determined. The 70th week of Daniel will take place. Exactly when? We don't know. But the signs are certainly giving us evidence that getting a lot closer. Will there be an antichrist? There will be. Will there be this authoritarian figure who will do what Napoleon, Mussolini, Hitler, and others, Alexander the Great, others, they could not do, which is conquer the whole world and control it? That's coming. It's determined. I remember teaching on Bible prophecy years ago in this very church, or at least with this congregation, and people would say, this frightens me. How in the world can it frighten you if Jesus is coming? You see, it just depends on how you look at it. Certain things are determined, yes, but in between that, we have the ability to touch him and be made whole. Spirit, soul, body. We have the invitation, as Jesus says here, to come unto me. Let me tell you this and I'll finish. It always has been this way in my life, and I'm grateful for that in my adult life. But I don't really have much desire to go to too many other people. I do do a lot of reading in books that are not necessarily Christian or theological. They're always nonfiction, though. And I like to learn, but with all due respect to Elon Musk, I'm not putting my faith in him. Because I'm not sure that I'd be on the list, on the A-list, to get on the ship that's going to Mars. And I'll tell you something right now, a little secret. I wouldn't have any of your hopes of being on the A-list yourself. 
So I'm not much interested in what he's doing. Others are really interested. Guy's a genius. Okay. I just want to know, am I on the list? My kids on the list? My grandchildren on the list? Yeah, maybe they haven't figured that out yet. For me, there is always that invitation. Come to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you want to find rest today, you're not going to find it in politics. You're not going to find it in reading all these posts on social media. You're not going to find it. I'm not saying everything's bad. It's not. Right here. God's book. Come unto me, because things are determined, and they're going to happen. They're happening now. You have a choice. Come to Christ. Believe and receive. Come to Christ and find rest for your weary soul. But I'll tell you this. The Bible is very clear about it, and I believe it. You're not going to find rest anyplace else. You'll find that anything else you build on is sinking sand. Jesus said, I am the rock. I'm the one to build on. What will you do today concerning your fate and your faith? I pray that today would be the day, if you haven't put your trust in Jesus Christ, make it today. Today is the day of salvation. That's what the scriptures say. It's not tomorrow. And certainly not yesterday. That's gone. It's today that you get up and say, I'm going to touch the hem of Jesus' garment and be saved and be born again. And in one manner of speaking, through faith in Christ, become the master of my fate. Father, I pray for my friends, pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ to strengthen in this hour of history, in spirit and in soul and in body. We will not find rest anyplace else. God, strengthen, fill, have your way. Help us to be able to see the possibilities of our life. The fruit of the Spirit is love and it's joy and it's peace. I pray, God, that you would reveal to all your people today what things are just pilfering the love and the joy and the peace because their eyes are on the wrong thing. God, I pray that you would help people to be relieved and released from the mindset of fatalism. Nothing ever goes good in my life. And reveal to them that it's a choice they've made to believe in that rather than faith in Christ that says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. I do pray, Lord, for our country that we would come to the wisdom that was given to Benjamin Franklin during our wars, and we've had a few of them, you have been kind to us to spare us from ultimate destruction. Help us not to forget you now in this hour of history. We appeal to you for mercy. Pour out your spirit on this country, on the countries that many people who are watching, from Malaysia, Uganda, Nigeria, from the Punjab, from India. Pour out your spirit on all flesh, as you said you would, and help God, because we need your help today. All right, so before I go, let me just remind you, which I do every week, the two great commandments, one is the greater than the other. All this week, starting today, starting now, love God with all of the heart, all of the soul, all of the mind, and all of the strength. If you've never read the Bible cover to cover, start today. It's not January 1st, don't matter. You start today. You want to read through Genesis or start at Genesis, read right through, that's fine. I would suggest you start with the New Testament, read through, then go back to the Old but you start today to love God with all of the heart, all of the soul, all of the mind, and all of the strength. And then Jesus commands us to love one another. God bless you. We'll see you next week right here on The Time for Truth.